0: Welcome to TW Talks, I'm Tanisha Dugan, artistic producer at TheatreWorks Hartford, and I am very excited to connect with all of you again under the helm of TW Talks. Uh, TW Talks is a program we began with our production of Next to Normal to expand the conversations around the performances on our stage. And now we are using our TW Talks platform. Say hello to London, everybody. Now we are using our TW Talks platform in an audio format to expand the conversation around the work we are streaming. Um, today's guests were brought to our attention by an incredible woman. Um, she is the director of our current project, Talking to this Chick, Sipping Magic Potion, by James Anthony Tyler, uh, the amazing Awoye Timpo. Uh, she is a Brooklyn-based director and producer. And joining her is the team of classics. We learned about classics uh, when uh, we were sort of prepping uh, for Magic Potion, which is is what we love we call it for short. Um, and Owe shared her work um, with Classics and this amazing group of collaborators. Um, so with us uh, today, and they'll speak about what Classics is about um, and we'll use it as a launching point for this moment we're in. Um, So with us today is Brittany Bradford, an actor, director, producer, and teaching artist. Um, A.J. Muhammad, dramaturg, researcher, and member of the producing team for the Obie Award-winning The Fire This Time Festival. Dominique Ryder, a director and dramaturg based in Brooklyn, New York. Arminda Thomas, a dramaturg, archivist, and musician. Um, And hello, guys, and thank you um, for taking your time uh, with me and with us today. Um, how are y'all doing? Loaded question, I know. <laughs> how are things wherever you are? We're good. Yeah, Alive, healthy,
1: and doing well. Excited to be here talking to you. Yeah. Day by day as the world turns into whatever it is
2: or continues to be whatever it has been, it's probably better. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm awesome. So, I think the first thing I want to just kind of hop into it and say, who is classics? I wonder if it's more of a what question or a how question. Um, but classics, tell me more. Well, I can,
1: I can kick us off and then toss it to the <laughs> toss it to the rest of the team for the, for they're always amazing and brilliant. Um, observations and perspectives, but um, basically classics is um, a collective, a group of people, an idea, uh, a mission that's around reshaping um, um, our kind of collective imagination around um, what is the classical canon by exploring works by Black black writers. Um, So really our work is to read together and think together and talk together i feel like in some kinds of ways classics has become a kind of a a, a like a think tank, a research based think tank um, around the idea of black performance and black art. Um, and so really our job is to kind of dig dig into all, all the corners of, of the world and, and um, kind of excavate as much information about people, ideas, plays, performances that we can and find ways to kind of share that with the broadest range of people that we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is how I'm thinking about it today, but I'll I'll open it up to the rest and see how they think about what classics is as well. I love that, Ooye.
2: I mean, this is Brittany, but I, I just agree with everything Aoye says, and she's, I just want to also take a moment to say that she's a fantastic leader and should always be celebrated for just her amazing skills of bringing people together and knowing how to be, she just knows how to analyze and explore things and ask the right questions mm-hmm. and being a part of classics has really felt like a a love letter to history. It's really about exploring and analyzing and celebrating all of these black artists and black theater moments that came before and also reshaping them and and giving them like the proper uh, analysis and critique that they deserve, but also tying it always into the present moment and the type of artists that we are now and what conversations we can have about the current landscape based off of what came before us. We're not living in a vacuum. So that's been um really wonderful to, to learn being a part of this all.
0: Linda, you've gotta to go to a different room. I will second that she is an amazing leader and I think we have loved having her around and watching it and learning from it and growing from it. Um, it has been a, a true gift to have her um her leadership in our in our space. I love, you know, Brittany, you talk about critique. Um and I was watching um Anika Noni Rose and Coleman Domingo last night. They had sort of a, uh, an interview that they did with each other um, for the Academy. Um, uh, and one of the sort of pieces they were talking about was this idea of critique and and also Black critique and how, you know, we're in a space right now where we're, we're trying to sort of cultivate a generation of critics that are Black, but so often they're really... Um, giving synopses, right? They don't have the background or the cultural understanding or or the academic background to offer critique or even know what that looks like. So I'm curious, you know, as you guys, you know, engage with both your work, but also look around you, what does critique look like for you in these, in these times? And also who, you know, are you considering when you're like, oh, those are folks that I think really understand the work of theater Um, the historicity of of Black work um, and can really speak to, I think, the things that are coming out of of this cohort of of Black artists in in 2021, so to speak.
2: I'm going to so let one of these other intelligent people jump off on this, but what I will say about Black critique, because it means so much to me, is that I feel like by not allowing Black work, Black art, Black theater specifically, since that's the realm we're all operating in, to not be critically, um, to not have like proper critique by Black artists, to not be analyzed, to not be investigated. It is a way uh, to shut down the the creative conversation and not allow artists to grow. So I think sometimes it gets pushed aside as something that's like, oh yes, and we should work on Black critique. And I think it should be way more at the forefront of this, the, all of these new initiatives and things we're working on. But I'll open it up to everyone
3: else. This is Dominique and I'm just going to, God, I hate to say piggyback on, piggybacking on what Brittany said, uh, jetpacking off of what Brittany said. Yes. Um, To me, when I think about what a critique is, a critique is care, right? Because you, you, you need to have a, there, there needs to be a care in something to want to critique it, to really take the time to pull the thing apart, to understand what it is. And so critiques, I think, I, I think specifically for some, for like, as a director, when I think about my own art, right, like critique is the only way I get better, and it's often unfortunate, and well, yeah, we've talked about this, right, like the way that directors don't get critiqued, the way that like you can talk about um, what it takes to improve an acting performance, you can talk about what it takes to improve a play, but like directors and designers don't sort of have that same engagement, and I'm really trying to think about like critics <laughs> right now in this moment because like the people like the people that are coming up to my mind that I read the most where I'm usually like "eh, this is boring are like the folks at the times and like other um white institutions I think Vincent Cunningham over at the New Yorker is someone I return to um even when I find myself disagreeing with him um Maya Phillips at the New York Times who's their new um uh at, editor at large is, is really is someone I think is really great not just for theater but for art in general um and I think the fact that it's taking me so long to to actively think about <laughs> black critics and institutions is a part of the problem mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I love you know I love this idea of care right and that critique is essentially care and implicit in that is a is a a knowing and an understanding, and and if the critics we currently think of, and God bless Jesse Green because I think he has been doing some yeoman's work of elevating work in a time where there's no work happening, um in a in a way that I don't think a year ago I'm, I'm you know he would be talking about some of these works that are coming out, um but but does he have the understanding to care for the work that we are all producing and working on? Does he, does he really know, does he have that, that connection? And Arminda, I'm curious, you know, looking at the, the works that you guys are being, being, to, beginning to elevate for us. Um, what, you know, what are the, what is your definition of, of, of care? And how do you guys select the projects that you want to push in front of us to care about?
4: I think I mean, for me it it starts with love. I mean, it does it starts with doing something kind of cliche and and falling in love with a writer or with an era or with um or with a play. Um, so and then wanting to engage because I, I think um, you know, getting back to critique and care, it's it's the wanting to have this thing in conversation. Not not just to assess and to analyze, but to have other people talk to you about this thing that you're so excited about. That you even if you just pick it apart into little bitty pieces, it's because you want to break it down and understand and have other people bounce bounce that back to you. Um, you know. So um, I, I remember having um, when you used to do that coffee at uh, at signature in the lobby with Dominique, and we're just talking about. Alice Childress and various plays by Alice Childress and 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 which thing we love most, or the mojo and the say so, and what is so wonderful about this thing, and when you just get lost because you because you go that deep. That is, you know, or there's this play piece by this playwright and you love this playwright, but this piece you just don't is that what happened? Why is that? Or there's this critic from back in the day, you know, um, who, you know, or they they weren't critics. They were people, intellectuals. That's what they used to call them, intellectuals, because they're not writing for a paper. They're writing about a thing. And Right, and that wasn't you know, a pejorative,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right? That's right.
4: That's right. It's not a pejorative. Uh, like uh, John Oliver Killens wrote a, a piece about Alice Childress and just dismissed wedding band. It made me so upset. But to have a <laughs> <laughs> to be in conversation with, you know, why is that? Why is that moment? Why in that moment could he not see that? You know, that's what I mean. I'm giving examples. I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but I think that there is something about um, what we find are pieces that we want to have a conversation about, that we want to ha- engage others in a conversation about, or that we just want to say, whoo, this thing happened. Do you know this thing happened and here are the people who put it together and we should know these people, even if we're not deeply in love with this thing or this element of this thing does not really work for this, us, but um, the spirit that brought this thing into into being is something that we want to remember and celebrate and draw on and, and not lose. We don't want to lose sight of this. Um, so that is... I mean, to me, that that's what care is, and that is how we uh, come into the conversations about the pieces that um, that we wanna that we wanna lift up.
0: I love that you brought up Alice Childress because, you know, you guys have this quote on your site, uh, writing is a labor of love and also an act of defiance, a way to light a candle in a gale wind. Um, and that struck me in this time, right? Like I'm moved by this idea of defiance in this moment and also of black defiance, but I'm also curious, right? About these displays of, uh, you know, people can't see me, but white defiance, in this moment, um, and I'm—I guess—I'm wondering how the pa- the sort of past week. I guess it's how I don't even know how long it's been. Um, how the past week has sort of impacted uh, your relationship to that to that quote. And I, I'm going to throw that to AJ a bit. Like defiance in this moment feels so central to us, <laughs> right? Uh, how how are you feeling about that uh, these days?
5: Well, you know, um, <laughs> what I think about is, um, like you know, whose voice is being listened to, and um, whose voice has not been listened to, to kind of, um, uh, you know, like to, like, you know, like to be a, a sort of map or um, sort of like a um, like, you know, like the like the the person our um our griots, our you know our, our griots or our storytellers, and and I think um, in, in talking about Alice Childress, I, you know, um, you know, sixty years ago or 50, you know, fifty years ago, when Alice Childress wrote the Wedding Band, she was essentially writing, you know, I, I call her a prophetess and, and 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 a prophet. And essentially, if you look at um, the Wedding Band, what what you know, like what she wrote about in the nineteen sixties, is um, is really what's happening now. So. So all these incredible black women, playwrights, journalists, novelists, they were, you know, their their writing was an act of defiance, um, you know, in, in society and in the world and their work has been documented. And I just find myself through projects like classics, you know, um, going back to these works and, you know, and, and, and looking at investigating ways of how black women try to warn us and how to uh, try to prepare us and give us clues and give us information that we could use to get through the period that that we're going through now. So, I think that that so I I just you know want to give my hat uh, take my hat off to black women because they told us this you know a hundred years ago <laughs> they told us this fifty years ago and now we're just seeing it all play out and just you know I I, I just think of you know um, as as someone I know I'm named Crystal or she says the universe has impeccable timing and <laughs> I had to weave that in there because I'm you know. All of these things are happening. All like we're living in a time of convergence, as p as a title of a PJ Gibson play. So, and then we're also living in a time of a season two unravel, which is the title of a play by um, Alexis Devoe. So, between the titles of the plays and the plays themselves, you know, this canon and this body of work is here for us to, you know, essentially um, give us the blueprint to life.
1: And I'll just, I'll just um, what's the phrase, Dominique? I'm I'm jet jetpacking <laughs> off of I'm jetpacking. I'm jetpacking <laughs> off of what off of what AJ said. Um because you know there's a couple of phrases that I think we we come back to often and I'm thinking about. Uh, this notion for us of um of sankofa looking back in order to move forward and as we're thinking about the the context for this for this past week you know and asking questions about what the what the what the road ahead is can we actually truly invest in the question of what's coming if we haven't gone back and looked at say all of the history from the end of the reconstruction era like how can we use that as armor for our a historical armor to kind of manifest whatever our new vision? are, you know. And I think that's also kind of part of our um part of our work is about engaging, you know, as um as everybody else is saying in terms of even um, critique. It's about really expanding our understanding of what were all of the different perspectives. What were the people saying a hundred years ago, one hundred fifty years ago? That's actually there. There are echoes of that that we need to listen to in this moment. Um, so I think you know it's, it's just connecting this idea of. Um, how do we engage with the thing of the past? Not just to know our history or to kind of kind of pack things into a museum of ideas, but to say how does it actually reflect on our contemporary society so that we can really build forward in a strong um, um, and dynamic and a dynamic way.
2: And may, maybe to backpack, jetpack—I don't know—off of that. And <laughs> what Arminda was saying earlier about critique being care. There are so many perspectives, like we're not a monolith, and it feels like you could keep saying it and saying it intellectually to people. But what has been great with the classics is that by actually going in and exploring these movements, you realize with each of these, um, let's say, historically theatrical moments, that there were so many perspectives within that. And when we're going in and analyzing it, it's not as a debate to say what's right or what's wrong or to say that the Black people living their lives in this way and trying to go, I don't know, to profit off of money in their art is better than or worse than people who are, you know, pure auteurs or something. It's, it's not a debate. It's a conversation. It's just asking questions and asking more questions and not trying to make us so dichotomous. And I think that that lends itself to now, when it really feels like people are trying to not have any gray area with anything. Everything is this or this. And all Black people are like this, or all Black art should look like this. And you recognize, I think, through all of these, um, I keep on saying analyses, but I guess that's what it is, of history, how similar it is past to present.
3: And I just want to say really quick, um, because your, your question was, a, was also, I think, in a lot of ways about white defiance, right? Um, and the, the sort of other part, I think, in addition to what everyone else has said, is that it also requires a belief of the other side, right? Like, I, I, the, the, the writer Joy James tells us that, like, she sees a response to the rhetoric of the right. She's not seeing a response to organized terror, Right? Like if if you live in a country that is founded on European barbarism, how are the people who are enacting European barbarism terrorists? Right? Like those are citizens. And in many foundational ways, like to deal with white defiance, we need to deal what it means with to, to what it means to be a citizen and what it means to be a citizen who can approach the Capitol building with no um with no with fear of nothing. Right. That's the that, to me, is the big thing. Like, some people need to learn what fear is. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that's what I love about that quote, right? Is that, you know, she she's approaching uh, as a light to a gale wind. What does that defiance look like when it's a clear day, <laughs> right? When there's nothing, there is nothing, there are no winds against the light, right? There's nothing that could potentially blow it out. Um, and yet it, it is, it is, it is labeled as such right like i i i I believe in semantics and i believe in like every word has a very specific nuanced meaning um and i and i and i i think i'm 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 with you dominique that 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 i think the the question is 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 to whiteness and also recognizing like i i'm seeing all of us be like ain't really my problem, <laughs> right, like, like, to to what you said, AJ, right, this has been prophesied, we have foreseen this result for so long, that this is just like, it. it is, right, and our it is, is also mirrored by white folks, what it, it is, right, like, it just is, um, and I, and I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the work that we have done and continue to do to be in response to that and whether or not we can continue to, whether or not we can step into a new space where we don't respond to it, but then also can stay alive, right? Like that's kind of like the questions I'm asking myself. Armenda. I'm
4: thinking about, um, I'm thinking about a couple of things. One, uh, Rhiannon Giddens, we talked to her, we, we did an interview with her uh, a couple of weeks ago and then she threw up on, on Twitter. And I think she said before, you know just a reminder that in 1898 um, South Carolinians you know upper you know just 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 put a put put the people out they just they just put the people the black people and their allies out of tr- out of power and they won and nobody talks about it anymore and it wasn't a deal and it was it was just the thing that happened it was a revolution it was a backlash though right and then I'm also thinking about you know 1964. Uh, John Oliver Killens and uh, Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee and Lorraine Hansberry and I think James Baldwin were involved in a town hall called uh, Black Revolution and the White Backlash. And that this is, you know, so it's prophecy, but it's also just an acknowledgement. It's just remembering. It's just sometimes prophecy is just an act of memory and understanding that you carry these things forward. um, We are a nation of people who habitually forget. And so we can be shocked every time this thing that happened before happens again. It happened just the same way. Oh, damn. Wow. How did that happen? Well, you know, Um, and so just trying to figure out ways to say, how is this moment not that moment? And we don't know. We don't know how this moment is not that moment. It's a larger scale moment. There seem to be enough people who would be really put out if they lost this moment. I mean, and that'd be us, the, the, they with us, <laughs> you know, so, so maybe that's different, but I think, um, and this is a thing that, that, you know, that 2009, I, I remember, well, no, it was 2008, cause it was still November, but looking at people happy and crying and going, but the anger that's going to be big. And not and and the um and the ability of people to pat themselves on the back, kind of like with Reconstruction, pat themselves and go, oh, we did that, our part's done, and then not be prepared for the the work that goes into cementing a change. You know, uh, you know, a, a change is a fragile thing. Freedom is a fragile thing and, and all of this is, is fragile and we let it go. We get tired, of, not we, because we can't afford to be tired. That's why we have like spirituals about and shit. You know, we not tired, but, but people that we need not to get tired, get distracted and bored and tired. And then, you know, we're back. We're, uh, we're back where we were moving these things forward. I just, I just hate for Dominic to be the only person who has to say this. So, just, I'm doing this for you.
3: I really, you know no, what it is, is like I really could have stopped it. We got spirituals and shit, and I could have been. I
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, see, but I'm pretty sure I didn't say spirituals. <laughs> Just- I, don't worry, I will, I will take care of that for you. I will always step in for the cuss word, for better or for worse. Um, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is is work in this time, right? And like, we will continue to work. We will continue to toil. We will continue to do, because um, that is is part of the spiritual, right? That's part of, of how we move. Um, and I'm curious how you guys, both as individuals um, and as a collective, are viewing um the work of theater making, but the work the work of, of culture shifting in this time. Um speak on that a little bit.
3: This is Dominique, and I'll just start um by saying I wish that theater making would stop. And that is maybe where the conversation can go from here. It just I I, I feel like the, the conversations around theater making right now that I keep I remember the summer and like the fall when when this whole thing was in its early days and it felt like everyone collectively agreed that the thing we needed to do was stop um and i don't think anyone actually did that i don't think that anyone took the time to actually stop and breathe and assess um and so in the middle of this pandemic it has felt like one catastrophe in the middle of a catastrophe in the middle of a bigger catastrophe and every week, it's like this new surprising thing because we have nowhere to go. And um, it, it feels like so many of us are being asked to uh, create when there are maybe more important things to be thinking about right now, to be doing right now. I think particularly with this whole capital situation, like that was a first thing, right? That was a one. There will be others um, and and maybe... And maybe this is just me. <laughs> like maybe this is just where I am with theater right now. What what can theater do to a gun? Um, can it do anything? It can can it stop a bullet? I would love for it to. Um, and I don't feel like we have actually taken the the time to like really reassess and think through what capitalism required of us before. What is it? What it is continuing to require of us, even in the most minute moments, and how that is killing us, not just like the, the capital U, us, but like us.
0: I was personally grossed out by everybody stopping after George Floyd's murder, murder, because I think I felt very much like um, this was black pain and that these institutions that were taking this moment really had no historical reference in which to <laughs> have a moment for themselves. I really, str- I, str- I personally struggled with it because I just felt like, hmm, like, I mean, I, I see you and I see these black squares and I see these, but I'd be much more, um, I would feel differently had there been some squares, some red squares after last week, right? Like, I, I'm, I have a hard time with the ease in which we're, Whiteness and white institutions are ready to embrace black trauma and black pain, and go look at us uh, recognizing black trauma and black pain. Like I, I that that was that was difficult for me, but I and I felt like I was on a limb on that because I was like I don't know that feels weird to me. Well, I mean,
5: I think in, in many cases we can we can look at it and say that some of it was performative. Some of these theater companies were reacting to the um the backlash of black artists like Danye Love saying, you know, why aren't white theaters saying anything about what just happened? And then and then you see this flurry of, of emails and who, and these companies saying who's gonna update their website the fastest or who's gonna get out this, you know, their their um we stand with you statement the fastest, but then at the and then, you know, scrambling to to create these token positions, but not really, but not really stopping and asking the asking the people themselves what do you need in this time or you know how can we serve you? It was just more, you know, PR and, you know, publicity stunts and um doing damage control and and you know and trying to cover their asses but 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 not really doing it in an in, in an authentic way. Um you know, I think that that there are some exceptions and then and then, you know, so I, I think that so a lot of it was, was performative, like they stopped because they said, oh, you know, Danye Love screamed at us. Oh, we better do something or, or we're not going to get to produce this play next season. Got to do something fast. So I think that's what, you know, I think that's what it felt like, you know, uh, to, to me, at least.
3: <clears throat> and the gag is they still don't have a season.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because I. I feel like this summer was so crazy and I am still feeling the effects of it. And, and I don't, it's hard because oddly the art aspect of it, the theater thing, has stuck with me a lot longer than I thought it would, meaning I just don't know my place in it. Like, I don't know how to operate and and be fully present. And I don't know when people are being authentic or not uh I don't know when people are actually caring or if it's like liberal white guilt. I don't always know like it's it's hard to it's hard it's really hard and i i I feel similarly to Dominique that just me personally. I don't know how to create art quite yet from myself and feel like I can be fully present, but I also don't want to have somebody else tell me like i don't know uh be an arbiter of why I am or am not making art. Um, I know we've all heard that quote about, you know, a black body on stage is a political act and, and it is and it doesn't matter whether or not I choose to engage with it or a white director chooses to say to engage with it. it is it just is you can't you can't take that away you can't take away if a black body is on stage by itself an audience member is telling a story onto that body. Now you put another Black body right next to that, they've created another story. You take that Black body away and you put a white body next to that, they've created another story. We don't have to have any language. They don't have to know why they're there. There are just already stories that are implanted onto us. So it's like, how do I find agency within that? How do I not let some white director try to tell me what that is or try to be scared to have the conversation? What do I say no to? And then what do I say yes to? Because if I'm being honest, there are also times where I've been in black spaces where I feel like that's also not taken into account. And that doesn't get to be a part of the conversation either. And that gets swept under the rug. So it's all to me just like, you know, there's years for growing and there's years for knowing. This feels like this year and next year and maybe the year after that, it's like, I, I just don't know. I just have to constantly think about it to make this a therapy session for myself. I That's, that's kind of just where I am. I have no answers. And I'm real confused and I hope someone will help me out or that my heart will help me out um, for clarity at some point.
1: And, you know, I think to, to all of those amazing points that everyone's making, um, you know, when, when I think the, the moment I, I really kind of come back to is probably like March, April when when everything really first shut down and it was just really quiet i mean i'm here in in brooklyn and it was it was you could you could hear birds you couldn't hear anybody talking on the street it was just the birds and the sirens that was all that was all you heard all day cuz it was it was just it was just very quiet and i think you know, um thinking to dominique's point it's really interesting because i feel you know there are ways that we kind of have created kind of patterns of movement of action in our in our kind of daily daily lives, and I think that in some ways, kind of having those routines and patterns has has um, been able to root a lot of people into what their you know existence is in this time when everything feels um, a little bit more uncertain. But it's in terms of the the, the larger <clears throat> excuse me theater landscape especially now that people have a kind of a clarity about when theaters can potentially open again. It feels like this moment, exactly to Dominique's point, where it's, uh, where it's about other things, where it's about asking questions about our relationship to each other. It's about asking questions about, um, about capitalism and economy and, 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 and agency. It feels like there is such a pull to get us out of that conversation in order to restore normalcy, in order to restore order. And it feels like, again, especially now the vaccines rolling out, Fauci saying theaters are gonna, you know, could open in September. In a way, I'm like, I it doesn't feel like we've all done enough work yet. To be able to go because now we're reaching back towards something which maybe is not the direction that we're we're supposed to be reaching and so it's like for for me myself personally i can a hundred percent feel that kind of battling collision do you know what i mean between kind of the movement and action and how to continue to make sure to create that time and space so that we can enter into a new world and not enter back into the same thing we were doing before but i can i'm sure we can all feel it we're like you can feel the reach back into what was before. And it's like, what is what is that? People are announcing seasons for 2022. What's 2022 at this point? You know what I mean? What, do, what does theater look like? What does community look like? What, what does gathering in a space look like? What, what are the, what, what what do story what does storytelling look like? Twenty twenty two. I mean, I can barely answer that question for tomorrow. Um, so I think that it's it's for for, for myself, but I suspect for a lot of people too. It's like how to both live in that uncertainty that Brittany is talking about, um, but use the moment of uncertainty to really do the work of answering some really important questions.
0: Let's take a pause uh, and come back with some more thoughts, questions, ideas. Talk a little bit about some folks across the pond who may be doing something similar to what y'all are up to over here. TheaterWorks is grateful to Bank of America, our collaborator and producing partner for the workshop series. The workshop series is a new works development program. It aims to cultivate emerging artists and present performances that are on the leading edge of theater. From straight plays to new musicals, no genre is excluded as we look to provide a breeding ground for theater works that will one day break through to major stages and shape the future of the art form. Find out more at TWHartford.org. We are back with my new friends, of Classics, uh, talking about this moment, uh, talking about art, talking about being artists, uh, talking and talking and talking, which is what we do. Um, one of the things I want to uh, sort of use as a launching uh, pad is is in the Dream, uh, which is a project uh, that uh, uh, RSC and Kwame Kweama over at NuVic uh, and Tafana uh, Theatre for a New Audience, are sort of all working on uh, or worked on unearthing as a concert a week ago. Uh, and it made me think of you guys in some ways, right? Like while the writers are not black, the idea of sort of um, bringing back to uh, mo- sort of modern audiences work centered or at least with black artists, we'll get into uh, who's centered in that work uh, as we talk? Uh, but it made me think of you guys for some, uh, for many reasons. And I'm curious. One, what do you think about sort of other folks, um, you know, bringing bringing historical works, old works, back to our back to our, our consciousness? Um, and anything else you have to think about swinging the dream? And then I'll sort of uh, offshoot from there because I've got lots of thoughts, of course. <laughs> don't I love I love when that when the rock just drops (laughs) they're like I don't really know what to
2: say (laughs) okay this is Brittany the the one thing that I because I didn't know really about it until um you sent the article and the one part that really stuck out at me was that one of the authors uh one of the co-authors who didn't know much about American jazz or black voices grabbed another co-author who was quiet who didn't know anything about American jazz or Black voices? And I was like, that's so now. I was like, that's so present. It's so contemporary. Like, I'm just thinking how many times I've literally had conversations with artistic directors or directors or people who have a power who are just about always white men who you're like, why didn't you think about a Black director for this or a Black? And they're like, there are, I don't, there's just not that many out there and they're always working. And I'm like, what? like that that always is an argument that they're all working and that there's just not many out there and i'm like just because you don't know them doesn't mean they didn't exist and i think this is a perfect example at that moment because even you know we're looking at uh black minstrelsy through the podcast and there are people who are you've been writing this incredible music and directing and choreographers who've been around forever forever they were there in 1930 whenever when this happened it's just knowing where to look and asking if you don't know and, and and putting ego aside and all of this so i just read that one sentence and i was like "Ugh, oh, that sounds so familiar
0: <laughs> well you nailed exactly why i wanted to talk about it right because i think that is um um pers- both the project itself but also the, the Black interest around unearthing this particular thing and having a conversation around it is also really curious to me. Um, and I think I should say, obviously, I don't think that that project actually... Uh, has anything to do with the with the work that you guys are doing with classics, right? Like I actually think the work that you guys are doing with classics is truly centered on black voices, black artists, black aesthetic, and this is a kind of corralling around whiteness with black people in it. Um and I'm and I'm always curious when we helm those kinds of things and like what does that mean? Um and also, you know, you guys are so you seem to me to be so um, uninterested in that other thing, and I and I and I wonder, like, was there a strength, right, in being able to say that we we are going to 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 not deal with whiteness and the white gaze? Is that is am I am I pulling that? Is that my you know extrapolation of understanding when I look at um, what you're doing?
1: I think it's I think it's a hundred I think it's a hundred percent right. It's just it's it's not an hour it, it's not an hour purview. It's not it's not what we're thinking about. It's not it's not the thing that we care about. We care the thing that we're interested in is exploring Black artists through time and how they were creating Black work. Um, so something something like swinging the dream just it it's not it's just, it's just simply not a part of of what we do. And it kind of goes into um, a a kind of a larger, um, curation question also, um, that kind of connects to what what you and Brittany are talking about. Um, you know, it's an, an, an idea, um, that a number of, of white artists had to include, um, black people and got some of the great black artists of the time to be a part, a part of it. Um, but really it's like, okay, fine. You want to take an idea about, um, Um, kind of combining Shakespeare and jazz, like where was the foresight? Where was the curation to say, let's hand this entire thing over to black artists and let the black artists create what it is. You know what I mean? It's like there were jazz jazz artists. Duke Ellington's got a great Shakespeare album. You know, it's like it's not outside of the consciousness or purview of the black artists. They could have could have just hand, hand it to Duke Ellington. Let Duke Ellington take take care of it. Um, so um, all, all of that to say, yes, you're one hundred 100 percent right. It's just simply not in our um, in our in, inside of our inside of our investigation
2: it's also funny when Shakespeare comes into play and it's always like a surprise that Black people have done Shakespeare. Like even in the article, it's like, oh man, I don't know about these Black people doing Shakespeare. It's like, I mean, even in our research, we talk about the Grove Theater, we're talking about Ira Aldridge. It's like, again, Black people were doing it before you came around to recognizing that people were doing it. It's like, it's, it's like something is non-existent until it's directly in someone's line of vision and it's it's this weird universe that happens with I feel white um artists, white people in power a lot.
0: Well, many white producers would say that this is what the audience wants, right? That the in order for the audience to to find themselves in the work, it needs it needs these other folks to write it or be Centered in it. Um, Dominique, I see you. Yes.
4: Well, audiences oh. are not built in a vacuum, obviously. But
3: no, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But no, it's just like one, right? Like talking about swinging, swinging, swinging live, swinging dream, swinging dream. The thing that was really got me about it is like, it's this whole, especially the New York Times one, it's this whole thing where it's like, who gets to tell this story? And then you scroll up and you look at the writer of the article and it's like, hmm. I, I wonder why white people keep getting to talk about this white person writing about this thing. That's crazy. Um, and it's just it's, it's just so boring. Like, I don't care about white failure. Um, and I, I, I just have such a hard time caring about white failure. Niggas um, failing is much more interesting because, like, usually there's just anti-blackness that's causing it, right? Like, it's just so... Ugh. And then the audience thing is like... <laughs> I, and I think about this, like, particularly as a director... I
5: don't care about them.
3: Like, because the audience that you are generally talking about is not the audience that I am doing this thing for, right? There is always going to be a sort of um, tension there unless like I'm doing a play that I think maybe can be for everybody, but I don't know if I believe in those yet. And so it's this weird, it's this weird sort of thing where like you are asking me to make, you are asking me and paying me to make something specific, and then you want me to suddenly consider these other people who are going to come into this room with their own ideas and like quandaries. And it's like, why why, why should I do that? Um, and I, I think especially like, and I think that there are also versions of this where it's like, you need to consider the audience because some of your audience members are bad people and are going to be like incredibly disrespectful not only to this play, not only to its performers, not only to its ideas, but also to like, the people around them, right? That's the worst thing is when like racism suddenly happens and I'm trying to mind my own business and watch a good play. Uh, and so it's it's just like, I think that before we can even get to programming for audiences, why do your audiences look the way that they do? Um, because the answer usually starts with an A and it's anti-Blackness.
2: An audience is such an, a very, it's an interesting question to me that I, I, I just feel like it's over overwrought and overthought about in only one direction meaning it's always you know producers being like but how do we get these wide audiences in it, it's never the opposite question doesn't happen for literally any other type of audience and i'm like a huge as as everyone here knows i love movies i love film and um there was a wonderful article that was in the criterion magazine i don't know even know how long ago that adrian kennedy it was an interview of adrian kennedy And the whole interview was her talking about how much she loves movies and talking about classic movies. And she was like, I would go to the movies all of the time. And that was really the one time where like color lines kind of got blurred because everybody was going to the movies. That's just what you did. And I saw, you know, I don't know, Betty Davis or whomever on screen. And I related to them and I didn't really think about it in terms of those are white people. I'm a black person. It was. And I think of all of the shows that I've seen that I've related to. That I'll have people that don't look like me and I'm always like, well, why can't y'all do that too? It's not actually that exactly. difficult. And exactly. it becomes this intellectual conversation and it becomes overwrought. And it, it I think authenticity is important. And I don't know, it's just an always, it's an interesting, it's interesting to me. I'll leave it at that.
1: Hmm. And the thing I'll add to that, too, is it's just I I feel like it's such an example of how people want us to continue to think small, to continue to sit inside of the illusion of idea. People, you know, we have great big conversations let's say about audience or whatever it is inside of the American theater and I talk all the time about like the illusion of the American theater the illusion of the American theater wants you to look at swinging the dream as as something like really elemental and important inside of like the history of American theater but there's a whole landscape of people creating other things and in other ways that just gets completely ignored and there's other people thinking about what it means for people to gather together as a community Community, what audience means—that's not inside of this very rigid, very small scope of what the American theater is. And so, some, I feel like sometimes our questions inside of the American theater, like they're too—they're too—they're too small for the scope of artistry and and vision and and mindfulness that that I think particularly us as Black artists have. And it's like it's like keep you know you then then we kind of keep getting sucked into these kind of small conversations when we're a people that are a about way bigger ideas than this, you know. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, you you sort of we've we've circled around this what I call the elephant in the room, which is the We See You White American Theater Manifesto, um, and I think a for me in what you what you've just said, you know, to me it's about doing work and investigating work outside of the paradigm of what we know. Right Because what we know, as you said is small, um, and if we continue to go back to the container that we know and say, we want to fit inside this container, you will never get to the to the vast greatness that you have just spoken about, and I think that's so that is so real and so like where i'm I am striving to move towards and also trying to decide whether or not like that actually happens literally in the container that exists, right. Like, do I as an artist continue to want to work with inside a container that like literally is hostile to the kinds of conversations and questions that we are asking? Right? That's good. Or is there is there something else and who, where, how, what puts me in the in the universe of where that that is, right? I don't know if that makes That's really good. That's good any sense but that feels like the like the like the next the quote-unquote next step to use the thing we are is like oh i don't even know if this is like even the th- it
3: <laughs> right? like, that's good that's good yeah yeah I, I just think i think that that is really good and it context it connects to um this sort of non-theater thing i've been thinking about which is uh democracy and being if we live in a place we know is killing us, right? Uh, but we have a house, um, or we own a car, um, and we are able to live well, even though we are surrounded by terror on all sides. Are we living? And I think that, like the, the question, the question you're asking about theater is also a question I maybe have about. Um, <laughs> thanks, Armando. Um, is also a question I have about the 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 country that sustains the theater we work inside of, right? I, I don't know that I have goals of the American theater being equitable because the country cannot be. And so there is this, um, there, there feels like there's this, this deep tension, I think both in myself as an artist and myself as like a person of like, we need to move out of, right? Like what the American theater thinks is good. And simultaneously, we need to move beyond America. Um, as a formulation, as an idea, as a as a concept, right? because both of these things are both failing us and killing us. Um, the fact that we are in like on a government level, the fact that we are in a pandemic and the government is just not paying people to stay home so they don't have to go to their jobs is sort of inane, right? The fact that there are people in prisons who are dying at the rates they are dying is kind of insane, right? And the fact that in the middle of all that, there is this industry. That is saying we need to keep pushing forward, um, I think is really sort of indicative of what isn't the the theater is indicative of the country and it's uh, it's really distressing. And how do I feel like half of the work is is convincing the people who think this is a good thing, who think that this is like the only way to exist, that there is something else on the other side that like abolition is a, there I go, that abolition is a possible goal to reach for and that it, can, it is attainable right? Because it's already happening. And so what, how do we, how do we move past and make sure, and make sure if we want to make sure, some people, I don't, you know, everybody can't come. Um, how do we make sure that the people that we need to bring with us are coming with us as we move into this like next leg of whatever mm-hmm. is past yeah. the American experiment and the American theatrical experiment specifically? Because if I see one more play, about a white family in the house. I don't know, y'all. <laughs> I really don't know.
0: And that the stories, right, that we bring forward with us tell the whole story of who we are. I think that's what I um, truly love about what y'all are bringing to us um, through your work, right? Is that they're... they're the sto- I, I, I Obviously, it's, I, I, I tell stories for my life, not just my living. Like That's, that's who I am. Um, and the gathering piece is essential to who I am, right? You guys are reminding me uh, of the stories I lost, right? The stories I was never told. Um, And I am so grateful for that work. Um, And I'm grateful for this gathering, as digital as it was, uh, to be able to spend some time talking to these amazing minds has been incredible. Before we break, I wanna talk about the things that bring you joy. So if you've got, you know, we call them, I'll call them an endorsement as a nod to my friends over at The Nose. Um, but something that, that has fulfilled you, something you're reading, eating, watching. Um... This is
2: this is Brittany. And Dominique recommended to me a while ago, and I finally got around to watching Miss Juneteenth. And I I have always, I like Nicole Bahari in general, but I was like, yeah, that, that he was like, they were like, that's a bit of you. And I was like, that is a bit of me. And so I was very, very happy. That has brought me joy. Um the poet novelist Ocean Duong, who's a Vietnamese Vietnamese American writer. I love all of their work. Um, and some melanin hair care products. Because you know what? We we're just trying to get some hair growth at the end of the day. <laughs> so that that all is all bringing me joy.
1: Lovely. Mm, let's see. Um you know I haven't I haven't read it yet but I ordered um the book by um who's the other um, editor Jenna Wortham and Kimberly Drew's book Black Futures um mm-hmm. which just came which I'm, I'm really excited to to dig into um so um, um, I think hopefully that will bring me joy in the future um but the other thing that definitely <laughs> brings me joy in, your black future. in my black yeah. future um but and and not to be corny about it at all But um, a thing that really brings me immense joy is uh, to be able to sit and connect with these amazing people every single week, Um, because, um, you know, we've thankfully been able to, there's a lot that we have been able to do over the course of the past um, year, um, but it has really been rooted in exactly as we're saying in Um, just being able to ask questions and talk about what's 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 going on and so i've I've very much been deeply valuing um this connection of like rock star amazing um minds and feel very very grateful and very joyful every time i can gather and and to be in this conversation with you too tanisha it's like bringing everything together in such a beautiful way so
0: that's bringing me joy dominique what's bringing you joy these days
3: um, the fact that Brittany just said she watched Miss Juneteenth and we haven't talked about it yet um, I, know. I, I, I I genuinely cannot wait I watched that movie with my partner and it it is so special to me because it's that's the town my mom grew up in Um, and so it's just like it's an added thing for me but the things bringing me joy are um, continuing to be and growing in my relationship with my partner uh, shout out Christopher Darbaisi one time they won't listen to this it's fine Um, and as always, Cydia Hartman, uh, there's this quote that I, that she has that I've been thinking about, and it's sort of, a, at this point, a ritual that I have to quote Cydia Hartman once in every classic interview. And she has this quote that says, there are too many lives at peril to recycle the forms of appeal that, at best, have delivered to us the limited emancipation against which we now struggle. Um, and I think that that, for me, especially as we start 2021, is where I'm at. And that brings me a lot of joy.
0: Aj, what's bringing you joy?
5: Um, Well, I'm just going to echo a warrior and saying, you know, being able to being able to gather with the classes group has has been has been has brought me joy um, over the past several months, Um, and also um, just you know just um, uh, email. I mean, or you know, phone texts with friends, and um, you know, uh, just conversations and different. Different, different virtual spheres um um has been bringing me joy and just learning um about all this all this incredible um history and information that we've unearthed um over the past few months through classics um has, has also been joyous uh, and and all so and yeah just being in this space it's, it's been you know it's been incredible
0: Amanda. Okay. Um,
4: obviously hanging with my people has been bringing me joy. Um, and then also my, um, my, my, my group of, uh, girlfriends from like seventh and eighth grade, we've been, we've been on a constant text thread and regular zoom check-ins. And that has been a lot of fun. Um, and then this is going to sound weird and bad, but So, so we got a, a, can we say this? You can edit it if I can't say it. We got a, we got a Princeton library account.
3: (laughs) Slaps, absolutely
4: slaps. (laughs) And the Princeton library account, the access to the rabbit holes and the deep dives and the just full born, like, I can't even, my child is gonna have to come and drag me up out of this damn rabbit hole. That has been bringing me so, so much joy, so much joy. It's been really good. I'm gonna tell y'all about it. I found a little thing today. It was good. I was supposed to be doing something else, but I found this other thing. It was fun.
0: joyful distraction. I feel like that's exactly what we need in this time, right? And our uh, our listeners are, are, are uh, I lo- lovingly call them our lifelong learners. They are our nerds. This is They love hanging out with me because I love to do all the things that y'all talking about, reading and, and listening and spending some time. Um, thank you for giving me y'all's time. It was uh, delightful. Um, and I Deeply look forward to um, connecting with you all again in this future, in our Black futures, as it were. Thank you guys for joining us for TW Talks. We will see you hopefully, or, or listen to you. You'll listen to us, something like that, sometime soon. Thanks so much. Special thanks to our guests from Classics. Learn more about how they're expanding the canon at theclassics.org. Classics, classi x.org. TW Talks is brought to you by TheatreWorks Hartford. To find out more about us and what we do, visit twhartford.org. TW Talks was produced by Adam Bintz, Cecilia Chapman, Josh Demers, Freddie McInerney, and Michael McKinnon. Our editor is Adam Bintz. It's hosted by artistic producer Tanisha Dugan. Our theme music is by Chad Brown Springer and Adam Bintz. This episode of TW Talks was recorded on January 14th, 2021.